I'm Bob Dickey, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Leap Podcast. My guest today is Jim Steyerwald. Jim started his career as an entrepreneur at the urging of his father. After growing and selling his company and learning the art of sales, he jumped into enterprise sales, growing and leading international sales teams for iconic companies such as Kronos, SAP, and IBM. As vice president of SAP, leading the fashion and retail business, Jim helped grow the business by over 247% in his final two years. Jim was also the head of worldwide sales for IBM Watson customer engagement. During this time, he led the transformation of a 1,600-person global sales team in charge of over $1.6 billion in software sales. During this time, he also helped lead an AI initiative to disrupt markets, leading to a pipeline of new business over $100 million for IBM. And he was later part of a $2 billion divestiture of the IBM Watson customer engagement business. He was also the chief revenue officer of Core Media Corporation, the president of Marketplacer, and senior vice president and managing partner of Gray Orange. Jim has vast experience in business ranging from startups to global enterprises. I was fascinated to learn from him during this conversation and see how he views business and what he has learned in his career. I know you'll enjoy this conversation, so let's jump right in. Jim, it's great to be with you today. We, I have wanted you to ha- be on this podcast for quite some time, and we were sitting in a coffee shop just last week, and we were just kind of catching up, and you were telling me all these amazing stories of your career and things that you're thinking about doing and you know all these interesting things going on in your life. And I'm like, I was so upset with myself that I didn't have my podcast equipment <laughs> with me. I'm like, dude, we have got to get you on the podcast. And so you kindly said, hey, come on over to my house. And uh, we'll get this thing set up. And so we've got a little bit of time this morning. And I can't wait to ask you a bunch of questions and for our listeners to be able to hear some of the, the, the journeys and the stories and the things that uh, you've been doing in life. And I think it's going to be really rich and informative. But I just want to say thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. Bob, thank you so much. Um, it is as, as much of a cliche as it sounds like. It, I'm really honored, period. Um, especially if you look at some of the um, other guests that you've had on. Uh, it's humbling to be even included uh, among that. Uh, I, um, you know, I, I just, I'm fine with telling my story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a journey it's certainly right. Like everybody's life. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I haven't perfected anything, but every day we're, we're getting a little bit better. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, um, since, since you and I and everybody else is on the, uh, the, the journey of life and crafting and making decisions and we were, we, you know, you and I were just talking about living in interesting times and I was listening to you share about all these, the, the various pivots that you had had, uh, since the title of the podcast is the leap, you've made leaps in your career, right? You've, you've, uh, taken risks. You've led this interesting life. You've led sales teams and multiple organizations. You've been an executive in some iconic American companies like SAP and IBM. And I'm just listening to you share the, all your, your knowledge in this journey. I'm like, oh my goodness, we, we've got to capture this. I want to ask you some questions and make sure that mm-hmm. you know people listening at home have the ability to, to learn from you. So you know, one of the things, I mean, you've listened to the podcast. One of the things that I love to do with guests is to, to hear their origin stories. So much of our life journey really gets started in those formative years. And I, I love to go back and uh, hear what was going on in the mind 
of young people as they were starting out in their career and what the decisions they made. And so let's go back yeah. and talk a little bit about young Jim. Okay. You know, what were the, what, what's going on? What, what are the goals and aspirations yeah. that you have and how do you stumble into this amazing career? Stumble in is, is probably a, a, a good phrase of it. My journey was not a direct line. It had some zigs and zags and, but you know, starting out, I mean, I had the benefit of having the childhood that I had and the parents that mm -hmm. I had, you know, there was a lot of stability. Now I was, grew up in a household where my father was a recovering alcoholic. He sobered up when I was about two years old, mm. which truly transformed our family, right? Now these, he was still a good man. Nobody knew that he was an alcoholic. He held down really good jobs. He was quite successful executive himself in the coal industry, but um, you know, alcoholism is a disease, right? And um, he, uh, he made that choice uh, when I was two years old. He didn't want to see me grow up fatherless. Mm. And uh, so that fundamentally changed the trajectory of our, our family, including there are beliefs, our beliefs in a higher power, mm -hmm. for example. My father always had an incredible work ethic. He showed me the way in terms of how to operate with integrity, mm -hmm. how to build relationships, how to build a network how to solve problems, how to build and lead teams. So I had a really good role model. I didn't really realize until I was much later into my career because I started to see a lot of uh, some of the same challenges that he faced in his career. Mm -hmm. But I had many, growing up, I had many interests growing up. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you know, and my parents encouraged them, right? Uh, I had interests very early in computers. I had, you know, uh, I was born in 1968, right? I had... Uh, uh, First, uh, Apple II. I had Radio Shack, uh, Tandy computers. Did you have a I, Commodore 64? I, I, I didn't, but I had friends that okay. had them. I had lots of different computers. I was into sports. I was into fish. I had a 60-gallon aquarium. I had a, a ornamental um, a fish pond. I, had, uh, I was into just a wide variety of interests. And what was cool was my parents encouraged it. Mm -hmm. They encouraged it. And uh, they really encouraged, you know, my exploration of uh, what, um, what, what fascinates me, mm -hmm. right? A very so eclectic it, background with all is. those types of interests. It, it, that's probably a good way to put it. Um, and uh, I, I think it helped fuel uh, my curiosity mm -hmm. for things. And I, I think that's stuck with me through my, through my life. Now you, you said that your dad taught you these various things about hard work and uh, networking and relationship building and things. Did he teach you this by like literally sitting you down and say, hey, son, I want to talk to you about networking? Or were, are these mm. skills that you picked up yeah. watching him and how he lived his life? I, I'd say the, the latter. Okay. Um, he included me in, in his life. I traveled with my dad quite a bit. I watched him in action where I didn't really understand what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he was the classic boardroom to boiler room. He would take me on mine trips. We'd go down in deep mines. Really? We would, yeah, we would go, I would travel with him. I had, uh, you know, I traveled internationally as a, as a youth, right? Wow. So I really got to see him in action. Okay. And the other thing was, as you know, I got to know the people in his life, both people that worked uh, with him or for him and his customers. As a matter of fact, he treated his customers, and this is back in the day, mm -hmm. it was a little bit different, where your, your clients, your customers, um, they're also your friends. And so these were lifelong uh, relationships that he had built. And so a lot of the, uh, my understanding of my father was translated through things that people would say to me mm -hmm. um, and, and. Uh, just the the way that the regard that they held him. He he was a 
he was a real humble guy, right? And he had a lot of reason not to be humble, but he was, right? And, you know, he believed in some of those precepts that, um, you know, I, I'm still getting my arms around, um, which is, you know, humility. It's not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking about yourself less often, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, yeah, I, I was able to uh, really watch him in action. That's a, the, the best uh teaching and learning experiences is not what's being said oftentimes, but, uh, what's being shown as an example. Right. And so I know you're a father and you've probably taken some of those examples over your lifetime Mm -hmm. as you've raised your kids and uh, you have a a daughter who's about ready to get married Mm -hmm. here on this beautiful property. And so congratulations Mm -hmm. on that. So this is, I know as I had a daughter married this summer, it's one of those, um, (laughs) monumental, moments in life where you really it, it like you hit the pause button you start really thinking you're you i've been um very meditative and contemplative on life and and mm. you know where i'm at right now and see in this season of my life and then looking into the future and so that was a little bit of our conversation even last week as we mm-hmm. were getting together and just chatting and so as you're thinking back on your career maybe you're having some of those similar experiences right now right yeah. you're taking a moment of pause you're looking in the rearview mirror of all the various things that you've learned, you know, you got your start in, in the, the business world, really learning from your dad. And uh, so as you're sitting back and you're thinking about mm-hmm. these things, how, how, what, what are you thinking about? How, how are, what are the, what's the, the mood well, and the emotion? It's interesting. You do catch me at a, a re- reflective point mm-hmm. right now yeah. is I'm um, having a lot of really interesting uh, conversations. And this summer I'm, I'm considering what my next mission is, mm-hmm. frankly, and it's great timing, right? My son Jack's home from um, college uh, this summer. Sarah, of course, is getting ready to uh, for for her wedding, mm-hmm. uh, and so the time is really it's been a sweet time of Aww. of reflection and really getting um, fueled up for what that next mission is. Tie it back to the beginning about my father and the mm-hmm. beginning of my career. Yeah, um, he uh, he he always encouraged me uh, to be my own man and make my own way. Mm-hmm. And so when I graduated from college, the economy was not in a, not in a great place. Uh, and I had the opportunity to do something that a lot of people don't get to do until they're much older. And that was to start a company. Of course, like, what did I know about starting a company? Well, one of the best things about starting a company when you're young is you don't know what you don't know and you go do it. And so I had the opportunity to start, started as a graphic design firm. Um, this was back at the very early days of PostScript and Mac computers mm-hmm. and moving from shooting negatives and doing doing things in dark rooms and printing things to where the digital age uh, it presented itself. Doing it all on a computer, the little Photoshop, and you're dragging, and dropping. We're talking, the, this was like the, the, the dawn right. of that, right? And I, I happened to, because of my fascination with computers and um, design, mm-hmm. um, matter of fact, I was... Uh, a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Um, as, you know, I studied marketing and advertising in college. Uh, matter of fact, I'm sure anybody who's listening to this that's worked with me rolls their eyes because there's nothing like working on creative projects with somebody who thinks that they're an art director or a graphic designer, right? Because right. I'm very opinionated about those things. Anyway, so here I'm graduating college. My father encouraged me to go do it. Now, and I had some really good fortune. And I'm uh, we we started the we started this business uh, in. Wheeling, West Virginia. This is kind of a suburb of Pittsburgh. And it was just all about timing. Mm-hmm. You can't beat timing. And mm-hmm. I showed up with a computer and people started saying, oh, well, I, I need a sign. I need a logo. I need the-. And um, I quickly found out that I couldn't, first of all, I probably wasn't as, 
good enough. I really wasn't a, a classically designed graphic designer. Right. Um, and I started building a team mm -hmm. and, uh, we grew that little business and we were, um, again, timing. We ended up picking up some early accounts with, uh, uh, the uh, parks around resorts. And then we got into economic development and then we got working for the local banks and the hospitals. And, and we grew this thing into a full service agency. Wow. Um, over about a seven-year period, and I was approached by a Pennsylvania-based agency, uh, and I, I, I sold um, a, a large percentage of the company to them, which kind of wow. started, that, that was that next, you know, next iteration of my career where I had the opportunity, frankly, to really learn how to do it right and uh, work for that company for uh, the next six years. But I guess the point I'll make is, um, again, um, the, the tying it back to the you know, my, my family of origin and the encouragement that my father and my mother gave me to be an entrepreneur. My dad was a corporate guy, right? He never was, uh, an, uh, well, of course he was an entrepreneur. Even when you're working in a, in a company, the, if you're going to, people that succeed have an entrepreneurial mindset. So he had one, he never got to fully exercise right. it. So vicariously, I think he did He's living through you a little he bit. He did. Yeah. And, uh, he, he helped me, uh, significantly, but, uh, uh, and that really was, uh, for me, the beginning of uh, my fascination with building, uh, building businesses, uh, building teams, cohesive mm -hmm. teams, serving customers, understanding where, uh, where the value is for, for everybody, mm -hmm. not just your clients, but also your employees. So I kind of look at my, um, you know, my journey, you know, uh, sometimes people say it's your arc of, of mm -hmm. this, this, right. Well, it is. I think that's not a bad way to describe it. Um, it's got some sometimes some, some interesting turns, twists and turns. But you know, my my career is really, if I think about it, broken into three uh, almost three parts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the first one, you know, is really focused on entrepreneurialism, and and uh, I think about like hustle and sell, mm -hmm. right? And this was about Those are some of the things that you learned early in that in that right there, hustle and sell, and well, it, it's just how I felt. Like mm -hmm. I was hustling. Okay, I was moving. You know, and I learned um, some of the disciplines needed for startups. I learned about the grit mm -hmm. that is required. I, I learned how to build teams. I learned about selling. I didn't even know I was learning about selling. Uh, but, you know, I, I one of the advantages of when I sold um, a large share of the agency was had a guy that uh, was was one of the partners uh, his name was Evan James and he he showed me not by telling me the words but showing it in action about uh, selling intangible services mm -hmm. value selling meaning you're you're not selling a specific thing you're selling uh, the benefit and the value behind it right and uh, also about the power of the network okay. and how power how important it is to develop that network because uh, that that's everything you do is going to be based on your reputation. Everything you're going to do is going to be based on the relationships that mm -hmm. you've got and the, the references that you have. And I, I, of course I learned just some of the, you know, the, the nuts and bolts uh, delivery and project uh, management. Mm -hmm. Right. And I also learned that in the end, it's really about execution as, mm -hmm. as unsexy as that is. It truly is. You can have the, obviously in this, uh, I feel like Bob, in this conversation, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about comes across as so cliche. Yeah, no, but because a lot of it is kind of obvious. Mm -hmm. Some of it's not, but you know that's one of them, which is you can have the greatest uh, strategy in, in the world, but yeah. if you can't execute, it doesn't matter. Matter of fact, goes along with the idea of uh, 
don't let perfection get in the way of progress. Mm -hmm. You have to execute that. Um, you know, that chapter of my life, um, kind of brought me into, you know, through, through starting my own agency, selling it. Then I was hired and that's what brought me to Knoxville, Tennessee was to run a regional ad agency here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then I ended up at um, a local, um, a regional company, uh, that was the last Kronos, which is now UKG dealership. And it's like a dealership. Yeah. Back then Kronos had regions where people would own. Well, I was brought on to help bring the market value of that company up for an eventual sale okay. to Kronos. And that's what entered into my next phase. It was the next 16 years. And I, I kind of think about it like orbiting the enterprise. Mm -hmm. Right. And why do I say orbiting? Because if you ever get sucked down into the middle of it, you become ineffective. And I learned through that period of time at Kronos, UKG, SAP, and IBM was really, you know, taking it to the next level as far as how to run a business at scale, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and how to do a lot of the uh, practices that are critical, right? Strategic planning, budgeting, forecasting, performance management, right? Learned uh, both on the uh, professional services and the software side of things. I learned how to get things done without getting pulled into the vortex, mm -hmm. right? Managing up. Learned about uh, more about using um, you know uh, marketing and events and business development and then of course so all big corporate America kind of stuff you know you now work yeah big programmatic uh, you know you have a lot of people uh, you know when I was at IBM um, I had an organization of almost sixteen hundred people right so how do you manage at scale like that do you, can I, can I just a pregnant pause here do you feel that graduating from college mm -hmm starting your own company mm -hmm. and you talk about all the various things that you learned in that time frame. It's almost like a real world MBA. You probably <laughs> learned things yeah. in that season of life that even if you had gone to the best MBA program in the country, you would not have been able to learn those skills in a classroom. And that really set you up for being able to move into higher corporate mm -hmm. roles and executive roles. I mean, we were talking last week and we were kind of joking about, how sales is the lifeblood of every American business or business anywhere. And yet you can go to the most iconic um, MBA programs around the globe and they don't have classes on sales. It's yep. like, it's like th this is critical because you've been a sales leader. Yep. You've been a sales executive and you really it, it, tell me a little bit how you learned that early on in your career and then how you were able to take what you learned in your entrepreneurial and then move it into your, your roles at corporate America. Cause I think one of the things that I see so often is that there's a lot of people out there today who are starting their business, uh, career mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, people that I have watched do extremely well, got their start selling, you know, back in the day, it would maybe have been cyclopedias door to door and today, you know, it might be like cut co knives or doing these entry level sales yep. and they're learning incredible skill sets that they will be able to leverage wherever they go. Uh, cliche. Um, I'm still learning, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. I've been reading some stuff recently that really has uh, helped reform my perspective on things, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'm still learning. Now, again, always thought along the way that I'd pause and I'd get my MBA, and it's just it, timing of life and where I was in my career. It, it never, uh, never worked out. Now, I did have the uh, benefit of you know these large enterprises I work for. They invested quite a bit in me mm -hmm. in call it master's level education, not right. just on the job, watching people do it, right. but programmatic education and, and, and 
executive so, education. Executive education. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, at UKG, for example, um, I was, um, you know, I was, I was a young talent. I was, I was tagged as, uh, as hypo mm-hmm. and everything like that. But I was a little rough around the edges. Uh, I remember I was uh, present. I was given the opportunity to present in front of a very large audience, um, and because I was doing some pretty neat stuff that uh, was being called out, kind of mm-hmm. innovative in a company like that, and uh, I bombed it. Oh, it was no. a it was it was a total bomb. I went blank. <laughs> I I I, I You're nearly fainted. Yeah. Right, the whole thing. And um, there was the my boss. It was actually my boss's boss at that time time his name is chris todd he's now president of ukg he saw something in me and they invested in me and they gave me a, an, an executive coach one for um, how to uh, carry yourself mm-hmm. um, on stage and then another other one was just more of a, a, a business coach right. through that process um, they ran a 360 of course where they go around and they yeah. interview your peers right. and the people that are around you and it was one of the most sobering events of my life, the whole thing, oh, right? Wow. Both failing on stage mm-hmm. and then getting this 360, which the feedback came, it's all about Jim. And I remember receiving that news and how I just felt, oh, I just felt terrible, right? Because that wasn't my heart. Mm-hmm. I'm a team player. Mm-hmm. I'm an encourager. I'm a, but I was able to reflect on how I was communicating with people and I was being too direct, mm-hmm. too urgent to mission, get it done. And I wasn't empathetic and I didn't listen. So that was a real, uh, that was in my uh, mid thirties. That was a, 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 a real tipping point in my career. And so I have to point back to that, that, that those, co- that company in specific and both at uh, SAP and IBM, um, I was invested into. So, you know, I, I think I got my education mm-hmm. um, through experiences and through some investments that were put into my learning. I would lo- I want to double click on this because I think that this is so important. I've had multiple conversations recently where I've had friends who uh, later stage in their career mm-hmm. are are going out and getting executive coaches. I mean, mm-hmm. if you listen to the Jess Ma uh, podcast, Jess is uh, one of the most voracious learners that I know. And she's constantly, she says, looking for ways to scale up and, and, and have executive mm-hmm. coaches in all uh, stages of her career. And here you are, you've got a boss early in your career who spots something. Mm-hmm. And it, there's this, this moment in time where you're having this like almost train wreck. And, and mm-hmm. that, that is so like to have, to have a train wreck is bad enough, but you're, you're living one out where it's on stage in front of all your peers, all these people at the company, like that is like people's worst <sighs> nightmare. Right. <sighs> and, and, but you've got a boss who has, who cares about you, has empathy. He's like, Hey, I want I want to help Jim. And w- so what would you say to maybe some young people yeah. or people who are listening who might have a friend or a um a peer a mentor who's who's approaching them and saying hey you know here's an area in life where you might need an executive yeah. coach because i know some people will hear these and be like, ah, i'm good i'm good I'm, I, I don't yep. need it or i don't they don't want to admit that they need help yep. but you, you were humble enough to be able to take it. And it's had a, this huge impact it, in your career. What would have happened to, to, to young Jim had he not taken that executive coaching? Where would you be today? Who knows? But I, I, I can tell you that it probably it was certainly one of the most personally at the time. Uh, it seemed it was devastating to get negative feedback. Mm-hmm. Right. But then the coaching and they, what they poured into me, 
it was maybe one of the most uh, important moments in, in, in my career. I guess, I guess what I'd say is kind of comes regardless of if you go and do formal training and mm-hmm. coaching, but is to seek people's input and feedback actively and to have that level of humility and self-awareness to be listening and absorbing and watching them. Right. Mm-hmm. And to know that look, we're all a work in progress as we go and an opportunity to continue to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think, you know, having, uh, having executive coaches, um, I, I think can be, can be really valuable, uh, because there's a level of formality behind it. And, um, I think that, you know, as we mature and through our career, I think often, um, we lose, we lose that a little bit. Um, cause we kind of figure, uh, we got it figured out mm-hmm. to a degree. And, uh, you know, and as soon as we do that, I think we, we stop learning. I think that the individuals that I have watched that have used executive coaching and uh, have have just scaled up because of it are people like you, like yourself, and others who are have this humility and um, care more about the truth than uh, than about the image that they're portraying, right? And they want to seek a different perspective of how other people see them and view them. And the ones that I have watched in my career where people have tried to help uh, folks get an, an executive coach or see a different point of view uh, that refuse it are, don't really um, want anything to shatter this image mm-hmm. that they have built up of themselves. And like, they only want to have opinions that are going to validate this self-image that they've built up of themselves. And so it's just, it's so disheartening to see that because you can see that they're, they're literally being held back because they're not willing to accept other people's opinions and say, Hey, got an issue here that you, you know, you need to work on. To me, it's uh, really about, uh, posture, mm-hmm. like the posture of your heart of where you are. Um, and it's, look, we're complicated, you know, uh, you can, you can have humility at the same time as uh being confident mm-hmm. and and being fearless and being curious in those things right i'm reading a book right now you know who andrew murray is right the, mm-hmm. the great south african scottish you know theologian and author uh it, it, it's called the journey toward it's called humility the journey toward holiness which mm-hmm. um it sounds very religious of me to bring that up but it's so powerful because it in one of the core tenets of that book is that pride is the biggest hindrance to growth I fight it all the time. I mean, Bob, when you're as great as I am, like, you know, of course people can't see me smiling and laughing. Right. Um, you know, uh, I tease my kids too, is they'll be telling me about all the great things that they are. And I said, and he's humble too. Right. And it's funny because as soon as you start talking about humility, Mm -hmm. how are you, it's hard to be humble, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's, it's not a thing to be truly possessed. And so I think a lot of it comes back to this posture that we, that we have, and it's a continual thing for me daily, uh, to put myself in that position. And when I do really amazing things happen, uh, because I have had the benefit of being surrounded by mentors Mm -hmm. and some amazing leaders in my career that have taken the time, not just to like, you know, I talked about UKG, uh, where, you know, Chris Todd, uh, you know, align me and put me and put me with, uh, uh, executive coaches. Um, but I'm talking about these individuals that throughout my career have, have, um, intentionally and purposefully, um, coach me and mentor on specific things. 
So mm -hmm. uh, beyond watching them in action. All right. So Jim, uh, a little bit ago, I had just interrupted you while you were uh, giving kind of like the, the story arc of this second stage of your career. And you're now you're in this second stage of your career. You're working for big, iconic, global companies. And there's certain things that you're learning in this season of life. You had a great boss who saw you on stage struggling and said, hey, this guy's a high potential. We're going to get him an executive coach. Uh, they're they're um, paying into you or um, pouring into you, helping you on this journey. What else are you learning during this stage of your career? You've, you've had some, some failures, right? And now and you're probably having some successes as well. But t tell us a little more about this stage and what you're learning. Well, of course, you know, I'm learning on what you'd consider more um, like traditional domain um, mm -hmm. expertise. You have okay. to be an expert. I'm never expected to be a deep technical domain expert, but I have to understand the product. I have to understand uh, the how it fits into the market. I have to understand the value proposition mm -hmm. if I'm really going to sell it and if I'm going to lead teams in in selling it. Uh, but there were a few things that, matter of fact, I had the opportunity um, at IBM. I, I ran global sales for a division called Watson Customer Engagement. It's about a $1.6 billion line of business. And so we had a pretty large sales force. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm going to get to answering your question by telling you about uh, some research that we did. Yeah. So I came into that position uh, at IBM with uh, some hypothesis that, that I believe were true based okay. on what worked for me and what didn't work for me and what I saw work for other people as well. Okay. And I realized that there were, uh, there, there, were, there were about three different key elements to a successful deal. Right. And some people will argue there's a lot more, whatever, but I can kind of consolidate them down to, to three pieces. Um, obviously, uh, and, and these are pretty tactical, and we were able to track these in our CRM system um, of, uh, I hate to say the word compliance too, mm -hmm. right? Three really key pieces. One of them is very relationship based, right? Uh, and, and executive sponsorship, right? So securing uh, uh, sufficient or appropriate executive sponsorship and an opportunity, right? Decision makers okay. is key. The other one is I talk a lot about value and value realization is that you have jointly developed a, a business value assessment with the customer. Sometimes customers have their own framework that they use, right? Okay. And this becomes even more important today. And we can talk about that in a little bit because there are some tremendous changes that are occurring right now with some of the economic macroeconomic um, uh, climates mm -hmm. that we're in right now, even post pandemic. Right. Okay. But how important the value is. Right. So there's that second piece. So uh, having the ability to, uh, in a, a process to work with customers to really define what the, the business value is. Right. Okay. And that's another part of the conversation, which is great. Once you do that and once you close the deal, how do you drive that value and optimize through the process, right? A lot of this, though, all circles around relationship and creating a mutually agreeable path forward. I call it, and anybody that's worked with me, they're already rolling their eyes. They know <laughs> what I'm about to say. Sequence of events. Okay. Mutually agreed sequence of events. And okay. the, the value of introducing that into a business relationship early, I use it for my daughter, trying to figure out like aligning when we're going to do something down the road. What are the steps that have to happen mm -hmm. to achieve that event? And uh, for an uh, enterprise sale, it's not the sale. Mm -hmm. It is the delivery of the value, the, the software running, right? right? 
And so working uh, mutually to agree the sequence of events, uh, bringing that into the relationship, into the conversation very early, even to define, you know, what are, what is their buying process? Mm -hmm. What is their procurement, understanding it, mapping it. And, it, and, and frankly, it's, it also is a great way to um, exercise empathy, mm -hmm. to understand what they have to go through to acquire the technology. But plotting that out and you're using it through the entire uh, transaction, mm -hmm. right? So these three things, executive sponsorship, business value assessment, and sequence of events, I, my hypothesis was if you've got the combination of those three things in place, you're going to have a much higher chance of closing the opportunity. Mm -hmm. A couple of reasons why, but I'll say one of them, yeah. which is kind of obvious, is if you can't get a customer to either have an executive sponsor mm -hmm. or agree to do a business value assessment or to have a conversations around sequence of events, you do not have a qualified opportunity. Mm -hmm. So you might as well disqualify that opportunity and work on opportunities that have some legs behind them right. and that you have a you have a prospect that that, that is willing to um, have these types of, of concrete mm -hmm. conversations, right? So that was my hypothesis. Uh, we rolled that out. Uh, when I was brought into IBM, um, I was brought in as part of a management team that was uh, the mission of bringing together uh, a large portfolio of products. Okay. It was uh, supply chain, included uh, order management, uh, commerce, so e-commerce, and then marketing automation. Okay. And, so, and we had uh, about 112 different offerings. So it was a, it was a very, very large portfolio of products. Um, and again, we had about a uh, little over 15, uh, 1,500 uh, people in the field, uh, not just all direct sales. It was also pre-sales and okay. all the support functional functions that take, take to, uh, to execute. And so, you're teaching them this, the, the, this entire process. And we try to create it, yes. And we, 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 we focus on simplicity, right? Okay. Salespeople, coin-operated, and we can be like golden retrievers and we'll go running oh, off. Double on, click on this. I want to hear it. Yeah. Go, go keep telling me. More. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we just like, when you so, say coin operated, what, what do you, what do you if, mean? if it doesn't, if, if you can show me something points me to closing more deals faster, I am all ears. Mm -hmm. If you then tell me that there are uh, 128 things you have to do and you have to enter all this stuff into a system and then you have to do this and you have to show up to uh, three pipeline review calls a week. You've now lost the game. You've lost them. And you frankly are, are going to lose the business because you made it too complicated. You made it too complicated. Right. Okay. So we made it really simple. Okay. Um, we also did a couple other interesting things that I, I think really uh, helped uh, fuel this transformation and this growth. Uh, we, we doubled sales productivity in the second year. I'll, I'll tell you about how, what, what a key part to that was. Um, and we made it simple. We also, we used AI in our own business. I'm sure we're going to talk some more about mm -hmm. AI a little yeah. bit later because it's where everything's going, right? Yeah. But, and, and which was to simplify things, having 112 products, how do you get a salesperson to understand what they're supposed to sell to what customer? Well, frankly, we built uh, something called the box office, mm -hmm. which is where a salesperson could go in and enter some information like who they're selling to, what industry, who's the buyer, what are their main key, main pain points? Uh, this what is you know is AI enabled? Mm -hmm. It would then show the customer or the, excuse me the salesperson. Mm -hmm. Here's the products that you should be yep. promoting. Here are the bundles of those offerings. Here's all the enablement. Here's your collateral. Here's uh, some emails to get you started. Oh, here's wow. some scripts. Everything you needed served up on a silver platter. 
the adoption of it was profound. So oh. it was a combination of that enablement and then those, 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 the, my hypothesis of those three key elements to a deal. So we ran it that first year. Next year, we had the big sales kickoff, okay. right? We bring everybody together globally. We had, uh, you know, we, I think we were in Vegas as, as usual in the mm -hmm. software industry. Uh, it, and uh, I, I had my, my time on stage to really rally the troops. Okay. And um, I had the, the benefit of, um, frankly, one of the nice things of working in a large company like IBM, I had teams that mm -hmm. were able to uh, track this, right? We had the data in Salesforce to understand those three elements, were they executed? Well, what we found out, and this is what I presented on stage, uh, was when deals had those three elements, the close rate was 2.5 times or 250% higher close rate when those three elements existed. Now, I will submit that a lot of what drives that number up was the disqualification of opportunities in the pipeline that the, that dog was not going to hunt. Mm -hmm. Right. So it forced that because salespeople again, coin operated, they have a hard time putting down the bone, right? They, they, they will keep, and that's a great trait, Oh, but you know, I've seen so many salespeople and I've been, cause I am incredibly, um, competitive and goal oriented mm -hmm. that I won't let go of something and move on. Like I've got a lead here. I know this guy's going to buy. I know. I know they're going to close the deal. And, it, and so it's how, like, why do you know that? Why do you know that? Yeah. Feel it. Yeah, I can just feel it. I, I feel just, it. I've got so much invested. Yeah. I got the, that's the sunk cost exactly. is in there, and they're like, I just, I want to get this yep. done. So how are you helping your team understand when a lead was not a good lead, or when even though they've invested a lot of time and energy in a particular uh, company or customer, like you know yeah. what, you got to move on. What What well, were some of those look, things? I mean. I've, I've been a, uh, a big fan of, uh, you know, lead scoring. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows about Bant, mm -hmm. right? Um, does the opportunity have, do they have a budget? Are you working with somebody who has the authority? Do they have documented need? And do they have a documented timing, right? So there's lots of things you can do to put a little bit of science behind it, to mm -hmm. move it away from a gut, gut instinct. Okay. But those things can also be, because they're, they're, they can also be a bit subjective mm -hmm. as well. To a degree, good salespeople are really good yep. at selling their management on why a, an opportunity is 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 a good one, and that's why I think uh, the the three part program that you know we rolled out um, of um, you know the relationship, uh, executive sponsorship, the uh, business value assessment, and the sequence of events, those were uh, demonstrable. Mm -hmm. I could go see it in Salesforce CRM. Yeah. Right. So when we rolled that out the adoption of those three elements skyrocketed. Okay. Right. Um, yes. We put some rigor into it. Yes. We trained the managers about how to coach. Um, so how do you do that? Right. How do you build a relationship matrix? Right. Which is mm -hmm. key for, for the whole thing. Yeah. And the adoption was, was pretty significant. And then at the end of that second year, uh, we, we doubled sales productivity wow. and we had, uh, uh, you know, and this was at a time where the, we were moving from um, on-premise software to SaaS, right? And that's okay. another part of my, my arc, my journey of what I've seen in my career uh, from a technology perspective, right? The, the world over the last 10 years has gone through an immense transformation in cloud computing, mm -hmm. right? In uh, moving from on-premise local software to uh, multi-tenant SaaS software, right? right? So it was a really an interesting time through that period. 
and and how important it was. And and our customers were looking to us for that leadership mm-hmm. to help to help them get there. Let me, I want to ask you to take some of your learnings and apply it to a direct to consumer model that uh, was has been very prevalent uh, during the pandemic. Right. So you're talking about these concepts that you learned going all the way back to your entrepreneurial days, you learn these things and you apply them when you're moving into these big iconic global companies, SAP, IBM, and you're, you're leading big enterprise mm-hmm. sales. Uh, but for maybe someone who's listening at home and uh, in more of a DTC model, uh, or they're a, a, a young startup entrepreneur, uh, I want you to uh, re- just real quickly apply some of these learnings to a, a case that a lot of people might be able to relate with. For example, uh, during the pandemic, Peloton just exploded, right? And I was, I was shocked to see um, just the, the absolute parabolic curve mm. of, of growth that they had, right? And so you've got, got these $3,000 bikes, right? And, and, and the joke is um, it's a $3,000 bike, and then you've got, a, well, I think it's maybe a $40 or $50 monthly subscription, right? And that's really where the, the, the money is made, the monthly subscription. Yep. And, but if, if, I guess if I'm a sales guy and I do a great job of selling that bike, but it, then it goes home and it sits in somebody's living room or basement and it just is, becomes a closet where they're hanging clothes on it and they're not actually using it and they end up getting off the subscription. You're losing so much hmm. value on that sale hmm. that it could be going for you know 12 months, you know 48 months, however long. So if, if I were a sales rep mm-hmm. trying to uh, establish not only that sale, but also making sure that the, the customer was bought into the, the, the value, what, what are some of the things that you would coach up a sales rep, say in Peloton, so that, to, to help them make sure that they're, they're, they're selling that appropriately? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, question because, frankly, all the Pelotons that are sold are mostly sold uh, over the internet, mm-hmm. right? So there isn't really much of a relationship between Peloton and the end customer except for an implied relationship through buying the product and, and using it, mm-hmm. right? I Bob, but I, I'm going to turn the turn the question back a little bit okay. or reframe the yeah, question because yeah, I think that's a great one. Matter of fact, if I was ever explaining and I talk about the consumption gap. Okay. We talk about the adoption of and the use of the technology. It's a great one, I, and I uh, I will credit you for this. Whenever I'm talking about how important it is in in enterprise software to be driving that adoption and the utilization of the software, because if they don't, and they're quote unquote hanging their you know their their laundry over the front of it and mm-hmm. not using it for its intended purpose, they're going to quit paying you for it. Right. So it's a powerful thing. So with that, and maybe this could be applied back to mm-hmm. Peloton, which yeah. is how do you create the um, the motivation to use that? And a lot of it comes down to continual communications, mm-hmm. reminding people of the value behind it and uh-huh. how to use that product more effectively to, to really draw out uh, the most value possible. And that's really been, you know, you, you kind of, it's been fun uh, zigzagging around in this conversation, talking about the arc of my mm-hmm. career. Yeah. And that really is, um, I'd say, at the center of it. And I started learning it, you know, in my uh, entrepreneurial um, phase, but especially, you know, starting at uh, Kronos UKG and then expanding it further at SAP because I was exposed to a culture that really was um, starting to truly develop um, these programs uh, that were uh, intended to drive this 
value realization, right? Mm-hmm. First thing you have to do is identify the value and get the, uh, your customer to agree to that. Uh, but then you have to be very intentional in terms of what types of um, offerings and enablement and customer support do you provide through the 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 the, the customer lifecycle mm-hmm. to drive that adoption and drive value out of it. And to me, it's important on a, on a couple fronts. One is that continual revenue stream because right. we've moved into this world, this subscription world. Yeah, we're subscribe everything. I mean, frankly, cars now. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're requiring cars now through subscription in many in 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 many uh, parts of the world, mm-hmm. and so our relationship is becoming from how it's monetized. It's it's changed dramatically over over the years. So that requires us to continue to be driving that value, and it has to be in a very intentional program behind it. As soon as you find yourself in a reactive mode where you think you're going to lose a customer, uh, you've lost the customer. Okay. So. Having that uh, program built, and matter of fact, for the customer to understand that that is part of your overall product, isn't just the code, the ones and zeros, and the brilliant code that sits behind it, and now all the AI, but is how do they adopt it? And then how do you, frankly, continue to optimize the use of that? Matter of fact, that's what got me on the map at Kronos, Mm -hmm. um, was um, I didn't know, I came into Kronos, and I I didn't really know a lot about... uh, enterprise software at the time, but I did know that I could go out and, and get to know people and understand how they're using the technology. Wow. And I started to, I developed a, a survey uh, framework way back in the day. We're going back close to 20 years, uh, Survey Monkey, And I'd oh, go out yeah. and I, uh, I, I own the, the Southeast region for, for Kronos. And um, I'd go in and call on these companies, large companies, and they'd be like, yeah, that's cool, man. Your, your clocks, they work. They're great. Problem was, they saw us as a clock company instead of a labor management company that had some really powerful software that could help people do demand planning around their labor, uh, to use it for healthcare, for acuity, ske- scheduling mm-hmm. of labor, mm-hmm. and all these things. And when I went around it, I found out they were using just a small fraction of the capabilities of that technology. And that's when I read the book, The Consumption Gap, mm-hmm. and I realized the problem that existed. And so I literally just went on a, on a listening tour. And I visited all my customers and then I did the surveys and then I brought it back into it at Kronos. I was like, look, here's how the cup people are using this, uh, uh, using our solution. It it seems like they're not getting all the value they could. And it was such an eye opener for Kronos. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were then able to come back and say, here's how you can draw more value out. Well, guess what that did? Not only did it increase retention, it drove add on sales Mm -hmm. because they were like, oh, if we added this module, we could do this. If we added th- th- this uh, capability, it would add this much value, mm-hmm. right? And so it really came down to taking the time to understand how your customers are using your um, your product. Long answer, Bob. Yeah, no, it, for this a is great, the, the, this great is, question. And this is brilliant because it, it seems like your success as an entrepreneur in early in the early stages of your career and then as you're moving into more complex sales more complex leader leadership uh positions and responsibilities uh, correct me if i'm wrong here but you stayed maniacally focused on being in contact with the customer being at the forefront of what your customers needs remembering who your customer is um, being out there on the front lines, asking questions, seeking to understand. That's where you're learning these insights of, oh my goodness, 
they're looking, they, they see our company as a clock company. They're, they're not getting as much value as they need. We can be doing this. And then that's how you're exploding sales. So this is, I mean, it, as you said, you've said it multiple times. I mean, it's like, oh, this is kind of like a bumper sticker. This is a little bit cliche, but I think people can forget, mm -hmm. right? Leaders in all stages of their career can forget. They get so, we get so busy in the operations of our business. Be like, hey, the, the customer is the boss. You know, be in contact with your customer on a daily basis, right? So what else, what else are you learning in this season of your life? You're now taking all of these learnings and you're in this, this second yeah. phase. Yeah, so... That was, and I learned a lot of other things as well, right? I mean, you know, I talked about, you know, operating at scale mm -hmm. and I learned, you know, there's, there's, you know, it all, it's funny how all these conversations, it always comes back to relationship mm -hmm. again, bumper sticker, yep. but it really does. Right. And so in a complex, somewhat political environments like SAP and IBM, mm -hmm. it's, it's building these alliances and these relationships with broadly within the organization your leadership, your peers, your organization, right? So it's this, this continual, um, you know, the desire to understand and to build these relationships. I also learned some other, uh, I'd say at MBA level, uh, skills. Mm -hmm. I was uh, one of the, um, very early, um, execs that was brought in NDA when it was, uh, decided by the board that IBM was going to divest that entire business unit, uh, which of course, first blush, I, you know, from a, just, uh, I'm a mission oriented guy. I was like, wait a minute, we've just doubled the productivity of this organization that we've, we've transitioned from on-premise to SaaS. Mm -hmm. We brought together three different business units, you know, and we really had, on, had shown uh, profound mm -hmm. growth. Right. But it was decided, uh, because IBM shifted its strategy at that time. Right. I, I use the analogy of what IBM decided to do, which was, they decided to focus on making the highways, the off-ramps, on-ramps, and gas stations, and not the cars. Mm -hmm. So uh, they divested that business unit to HCL and to Acoustic. And um, it made a lot of sense mm -hmm. if I, you know, as I step back and I realized from a strategy perspective, and it's, I think long-term it's going to pay off for IBM to mm -hmm. focus there, right, instead of enterprise software, which surprises a lot of people. What? Right. They're not an enterprise software? They still do some okay. quite well. They still do they they Sterling Commerce one of the I'd say the 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 granddaddy of uh, order management platforms they still have some analytics and security but really they're they're focusing on the infrastructure and the and the data and okay. and so um, through that process and through that time at IBM I was able to really understand how uh, divestitures work um, I'd have been involved in some acquisition work but the divestiture piece really um, taught me quite a bit. What did you, uh, what else did you learn during that time? Mm -hmm. I, I uh, recently read the um, Jeffrey Immelt book, uh, the CEO of GE, and there was a time during his tenure when they uh, were divesting some major divisions of the company. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a similar mm -hmm. situation where a number of people had, you know, knew this you know, top secret information mm -hmm. and they really were struggling with, they were letting go of friends and family, people who had been with the company for, you know, 20 plus yeah. years. And it was this gut wrenching time. And I, I think there was one leader uh, in the book that they're quoting that this guy had to come in and you uh, said it was the toughest time in his career. I think he almost passed out on stage when he was telling people mm -hmm. what was going on. And this was after similar to you, yeah. they had uh, had some, 
uh, incredible records and they were doing great. So here you are, um, you're going through a similar situation. Yeah. How did you handle that? What did you learn? Um, what are your memories of that, it, that it, moment it was, in time? These times in our life, they're, they're, they're complex, right? There's, there's the exciting part of it mm-hmm. and the growth and the, I love change. I mm-hmm. love leading through uh, change. But it was also really hard because I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't even at, the, at one point. I couldn't even tell my direct reports. These were these were VPs, mm-hmm. you know, global VPs. And of course, I had an NDA. I couldn't talk. So here I am. Uh, that year, I traveled to twenty two countries, um, running something called the Illumination Forums, and that's maybe part of another part of the conversation of what was an Illumination Forum. Mm-hmm. It was a demand generation program. And I was out calling on our clients around the world, and I was also meeting with the teams. And so here I am yelling the, the battle cry and uh, driving us towards growth and, and, and quarterly numbers mm-hmm. uh, and, and painting blue sky, knowing that we were moving towards divestiture. And I struggled with it mm-hmm. because I'm an honest guy. All right. I feel like generally you're going to, you get the best results when you bring people along the journey. They understand where you're going, why you're going mm-hmm. and how, how you're going to get there. Right. Um, and because of the situation, I couldn't do that. So um, I, I don't know if I, I don't know how I would have done it any different. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that once I was a, once we were able to announce, uh, you know, broadly what we were doing, I think I slept a lot better. Mm-hmm. And we also did a great job of taking care of everybody in the process, including yeah. our customers that were, that we're going to be transitioning to mm-hmm. HCL and our employees. And a lot of our employees, uh, you know, I was pleased to see that really basically everybody mm-hmm. landed someplace and it was career additive mm-hmm. for people. Right. And that was really important to me as we were going through this, that, uh, you know, people were taken care of because mm-hmm. we had some amazing talent in there and, and, and uh, and that that was a that was an important part of the di- divestiture, the the organizational and the financial side of it um, was important to me. But the 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 people, you know, in in, in the end is the, where where I spent a lot of my mind share to ensure that we were right. doing that part right. You know, for folks who are listening, in one of the things I've found in my career is that. It may not be this exact same situation, but there will be times in your career when you're in a leadership position that you're going to be facing a um, a, a challenge, an obstacle, uh, something that it, it, it almost feels like you're in a catch-22. You're like, man, and it's high stress, high stakes, and you're asking yourself, okay, how am I going to execute you know, this particular challenge or problem? And advice that I've been given um, there's never a, a a perfect playbook for those those things. You, you're you're kind of making decisions on the fly, and and hoping you're making the best decision. Uh, when I've asked uh, leaders who are older and wiser than me, when for advice, when I've been you know facing those types of uh, issues, they've, they've always said, "Hey, Bob, just you know operate with a high level of character and integrity. Be honest." Um, make sure you're taking care of your people, be doing the right thing. And even though you may not be able to be fully, like in your case, you're under an NDA, you couldn't be fully transparent at the time when it's, when you're at the end of it and everything is open, people will be able to look and say, you know what, Bob or Jim or Sally, uh, Rima made the best decisions they possibly could, um, given this situation. And, um, 
you know, but they, they operated with character and integrity at every single point along the way. Is there anything that you would uh, add to that? I use the, I, I talked earlier about posture, mm-hmm. posture of your heart, right? And, and see, and curiosity and seeking to understand mm-hmm. before you form those opinions and before you start talking, right? So you have to listen first. Uh, but I, I would encourage people, once you understand what that mission is to mm-hmm. embrace the situation wholly. Okay. Right. To force yourself to be adaptable and flexible in situations, right? right. Reject rigidity. Now, don't get me wrong. Right. Um, you, people hear me talk a lot about, a lot about rigor mm-hmm. in the sales process and everything. But in, in the way that we look at our business, especially through these challenging times, to force yourself to be uh, adaptable and fl- flexible mm-hmm. and to choose to keep a positive mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, you see your cup of coffee. Can you, can you read what's on the cup? Let's see here and pull up this great cup. Oh, it's a quote by Abraham Lincoln. Folks are usually about as happy as they make their minds up to be. And I, and I notice that that's also uh, on your personal yeah. website. That's yeah. a quote in your personal it, website. It was a quote my father yeah. often used. Matter of fact, he told my sisters that he went to school with Abe Lincoln and they believed it. Mm-hmm. And they went to school and told their teachers that their dad went to school with Abe Lincoln. Oh, so, but um, anyways, matter of fact, that cup was, uh, is a gift, uh, a really good friend of mine and, and, uh, and, and personal coach, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Teppel. Uh, he sent that to me cause he's probably heard me say it so many times. Yeah. And it comes down to the fact that we have a choice of how we want to look at things personally. Mm-hmm. When we wake up and through the day, what we want our outlook to be. Now you have to be careful with that. Bad things happen in this right, world. Yeah. Cancer happens. People get like, so it, you have to be careful that it just, it, it, it doesn't become a, a, a cliche, mm-hmm. but um, I truly do believe that, that uh, keeping that positive mindset, it is an active decision on our part to do that. Now that does not mean that you look away from um, and, and don't acknowledge challenges mm-hmm. and acknowledge data and right. acknowledge that stuff. But it's like, what do you do once you understand uh, th- these facts? How do you look at it in terms of how are you going to solve the problem? Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, seeking out um, the input from others um, in, in the process, but you can't do these things on your own. Mm-hmm. Right. I think a lot of times, you know, you know, and speaking to maybe people that are just starting their uh, career, be careful about looking to leaders that they've got it all figured out. Don't look at me like that. Don't look at Jeff Immel. Mm-hmm. Don't look at, um, because it's they are the sum of yes their experience, mm-hmm. but also the people that surround them. Mm-hmm. Right for sure. What's interesting a, sec- a second ago that you said um, the word that you used was embrace, and you said em- embrace the moment, embrace the challenge, and, I, and it was very unique that you, you used that particular word because I think a lot of times when a person is facing a challenge or a difficulty. The thing is like, I want to make as many decisions as I possibly can to get through this as quickly as possible. Oh, yeah. Right. And you, and you, yeah. you didn't say get through it as quickly as possible. You said yeah. embrace. And I was like, I love that analogy of embrace it, own it. I'm in it. We got to figure out what we're going to do. We got to get, we, and we'll make the wise decisions to get to the other side. But you said embrace it. And I love that. I'm going to uh, ponder on that a little bit further, but so I mean, you can see it even today. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was we, you know, we're living through uh, a, we've lived through some very challenging times. The last number of years have been challenging, whether it's professionally, personally, 
Uh, we've seen it you know, from politics. We've seen the economy. What, what, what are you learning during this season of life, and how, how is this impacting you as a businessman and a, as a leader? Um, and yeah. any, any advice or it's, things that you It has people? been crazy, right, if you think mm-hmm. about it. But it's not unprecedented. If you think about the world over the last 100 years, the changes that have taken place. Um, look, just over the last 20 years, we've seen immense change pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Uh, technology and the internet. Think about the implications right. of the internet in our lives, right? Globalization, mm-hmm. right? And and how we've become so much more interconnected than before, uh, which has created massive opportunities for growth and innovation, but it's also a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. Data and AI. Think oh, about yes. where we yeah. are. And that hasn't just started, you know, AI's on the tip of everybody's tongue right now. Well, AI was a big reason I went to IBM in, in 2016 mm-hmm. was they were kind of on the forefront of that. So data and AI, they even started, you know, we, we believe we live in this uh, remote and flexible work environment. Well, that's, that started a long time ago. Um, and then, and you know, it, it, but as we came into, let's call it since uh, what, 2020, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I guess the question was how did, what are the things I learned and, and how did I lead through, mm-hmm. through this environment? Yeah. It comes back to, again, adaptability and resilience, Right. And it, it was something that, um, you know, I think my upbringing, um, you know, it, it created me to be somebody to not shy away from challenges, but mm-hmm. to have curiosity to figure out how you're going to uh, solve them. But, you know, the, the really the rapid changes in the conditions of demand and the quick shifts in strategies and work routines and methods of communication. Mm-hmm. So we were evolving so quickly over that period of time. But I'd say... You know, if you're, if the question really is around how, you know, how do you lead through um, something like the pandemic? Uh, you know, I'd say one of the most important things is, and I think we can all uh, relate to this, is communication mm-hmm. and empathy, and the value and the power of having consistent communications with your with your organization and your clients. You know, you know, because leaders, you know, they have to keep your teams updated on company decisions, on future plans. And then from an empathy perspective, to have the ability to understand and, and, and share the feelings of other in the feelings of others, you know, and it's, it's really important um, than ever that, you know, we are understand how, you know, people are dealing with personal challenges such as, you know, health issues and caregiver responsibilities and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was fairly unprecedented time. Mm-hmm. If you think about right, it, yeah. uh, when all of a sudden now we're having all of our meetings over zoom, right? Right. We're not able to get into a boardroom, right? Now, luckily, that's in the past. Who knows what the future is going to be? But I will tell you that we're better for it mm-hmm. uh, because now I believe when we travel, it's more relevant. It's more vital. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, you know we used to get on planes for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember back in the day, I would fly to California for lunch and dinner, and 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 make a turnaround trip back to the East Coast, right? Um, and I also think. Through that period of time, again, uh, cliche bumper sticker, um, you know, innovation and creativity, I think skyrocketed because we had to find new ways to get things done. Mm -hmm. We had to find new ways to sell. We had to find new ways to solve customer problems. We had to find new ways to build team cohesion. But so I I actually think it was a, a, it was a pretty rich period of time within, you know, American business enterprise. It has changed the face of the the global economy in many ways, and like you've just alluded to, I think in many respects for the better. I don't think that we'll ever go back Mm-mm. to 
what was perceived as normal pre-pandemic. I mean, there's so much. I'm doing so much more business now over Zoom and video conferencing. Um, I mean, I, we used it a little bit, just some, yeah. but not nearly well, like we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, remote work, I think, is here to stay. I mean, you were telling me we were walking around your beautiful property here. We're sitting out in your back deck and looking at this, your your incredible pool and the, the whole complex that you've built here. And you're like, hey, I, I, I love doing my meetings out here. This is my office, but you're still a global traveler and traveling mm-hmm. all over the place. So, you know, I'm enjoying the exact uh, same thing in, in my life and my business. Um one of the one of the other things that I wanted to maybe ask you about, you had highlighted earlier uh, in our conversation about timing. Timing is everything, mm-hmm. and how the, you started your career, the timing was right. You're pivoting into when you go to IBM and SAP, the timing was perfect, and you were you're catching these appropriate and call it trade winds that yeah. were favorable. Then you talk a little bit, I mean, you, you, uh, when you're talking about a customer uh, and helping your uh, employees or your, your sales team understand what is a, maybe a lead that's not, uh, you know, put, put down that bone, that, you know, that this is a lead that's not going to be able to, we're going to be able to close. I would all kind of classify maybe that bad timing, maybe a little bit yeah. right there. But timing is such a key element in success in a person's life and mm-hmm. a person's career and business. Uh, you've been blessed uh, g- getting in at the right time in, uh, in, in various businesses. Yeah. Um, ha- were you ever in your career finding yourself in a spot with a company where the timing was bad, mm-hmm. where the, the, you, you, ac- you had a product or service that was, we'll say, past its sell date, or mm-hmm. where the economy is moving in a different direction, mm-hmm. and this was maybe something that was um, you know, no longer as viable, right? And the, how, how did you discover those? How did you pivot out of those types of things? Because yeah. I, I, I find like right now, there's a lot of people, the world is changing so rapidly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people are waking up and finding themselves in particular spots in the economy, like, oh my goodness, um, you know, the, the window of opportunity here is closing rapidly, but they're either leadership yeah. is not willing to make a change or they're afraid to pivot. And I'm watching this all around me of people not being able to jump to the, the, the next new thing. They're too scared. That is a complex question and a more complex answer, but I'll, I'll, try, to, I'll try to boil it down. Um, I have definitely found myself in some situations where it felt that way, and that's where the things, way that things were headed. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, I've had the, um, the, the pleasure of being part of watching uh, a, tr- a pivot, mm-hmm. a transformative pivot, and I'll talk about a couple, a couple of those. Um, I'd say IBM is a good example of where the board um, had the the wherewithal to understand that that portfolio of product is 1.6 billion dollars worth of annual revenue running through it. Mm-hmm. They realized that they it didn't fit their strategy because the or the the market was making a dramatic shift at this time the competition in the market against salesforce and adobe and sap and all these other commerce startups mm-hmm. very, that uh, there was a good bit of technical debt in mm-hmm. that product and they knew that it didn't align with the um, the, the the strategic goals of IBM and where they were going in the future. Where they're going, right? The they're going to build on ramps and off ramps and highways and gas stations, and they had the wherewithal. And so, 
when we des- when they decided that they were going to divest, it broke my heart because we were succeeding, mm-hmm. right? But it still it didn't fit because there were such dramatic changes happening in technology. Again, moving, uh, you know, moving towards um, uh, uh, multi-tenant SaaS, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, you know, so many other uh, shifts that were were occurring at that time. Distributed services, uh, microservices architecture, containerization. And orchestration mm-hmm. and all these things, right? Right. So, I I had the uh, benefit of being watching a hard business decision being made that supported an overall strategy. Mm-hmm. Another great example of it was, and this is a good segue into my third chapter. Okay. Uh, which is, uh, you know, I think about it as, you know, if I'm going to put chapters to these things, which sounds uh, pretty egotistical to do to put chapters in my career, but uh, I'll do it anyways. And that is scaling the startup. Right. Okay. So after we divested IBM, I had the opportunity to stay at IBM uh, as an executive. Um, and it's a great company. Uh, but my entrepreneurial DNA was calling mm-hmm. at that time. Right. And I started looking, I wanted to get in uh, the, in the startups. I wanted to scale businesses. Mm-hmm. Right. I wanted to work with uh, PE firms. I wanted to uh, create something and and to grow it. And so I had the opportunity when I left IBM to join a German software company called Core Media. And okay. they were a content management uh, provider. They'd been around for many years, many years. And uh, I uh, was chief global revenue officer of that company. And this was a company that had incredible product. Uh, it was uh, like... Uh, Caterpillar earth moving equipment compared to um, a, a, a garden tractor. Like okay. it was used by some of the you know very large corporations to manage their um, their their e commerce content. Okay, all the images, everything that that is that is on companies' websites, it's managed through that. Um, this was a uh, this product was an on premise solution uh, because that's what was required um, to. Uh, to, 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 to have enough horsepower behind it. And there was a time, I, you know, I was concerned that we weren't going to be able to make that pivot fast enough to offer uh, microservices and to offer SaaS solutions. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is where the story of PE comes in. And we, uh, and I was part of um, helping bring open gate capital to the market to, to bring fund uh, uh, the right funding to mm-hmm. drive growth within this company. The company had been around for over 20 years and uh, open gate allowed us and gave us the ability to invest in the product. And again, you know, make that pivot uh, to be able to be re- responding to the change of technologies and where the market was going. So while wow, you've made this uh, big pivot in your career, you were going from uh, working at major global uh, businesses like IBM and SAP. Now you're like, I want to take my learnings and I want to go and uh, help startups scale. I want to get that. Yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting uh, as I'm listening to you talk about this, uh, I can see that this, uh, you're a voracious learner. You, you're, you're wanting to do something new. It's like you've, mm-hmm. you've scaled certain mountains. You've gotten to the top and be like, Hey, this was fun, but I want a new challenge. And I tell you what, there's almost in the business world, there's no challenge as fun as taking a small startup company and scaling it mm-hmm. because, I mean, you're wearing so many different hats. Yeah. So you've gone from, you know, starting your own business, being an entrepreneur, 
taking those learnings into huge, iconic yeah. global companies, and then and now in a, a different stage of your career saying, all right, I want to go and help other startups. I want to scale them. Um, so while you, you're, you're learning a ton in, in this season of life, uh, are there, is there anything different now when, when you're going and you're helping these uh, startup companies scale? Mm -hmm. Do you view the business world differently? Do you view the landscape differently? Do you view entrepreneurship differently now than you did at the very beginning mm -hmm. of your career when your dad was giving you this mm -hmm. advice and he was encouraging, hey, son, go out there and start your company. This is where you ought to get started. Yeah. What's different? I mean, you're, you're in a different stage of life. You've learned yeah. so much. How do you juxtapose those two positions? Because you're now back in startup land, but you've got so much more experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's interesting for me you know, this draw, uh, drawing me back, you know, into, you know, closer to my DNA, my entrepreneurial DNA and what drew me out of, you know, when I had the opportunity, when we were leaving, when, when IBM divested, I could have stayed, mm -hmm. but I was drawn into, as you really well kind of described that the feeling behind that. Um, and you know, I feel like there are so many amazing things that the big enterprises do, uh, programmatically, mm -hmm. right. Their use of data, how they can operate and orchestrate and execute. And so my goal was really to do big enterprise things, but with more of a guerrilla approach, mm -hmm. more with less the simp simplification and the, uh, uh, and repeatable processes mm -hmm. that are really the hallmark of large enterprises. So how do you, how do you bring that into a much smaller, nimble, more guerrilla approach um, and make it scale to the needs of a startup because otherwise you can ch just absolutely choke uh, a, a small organization mm -hmm. with too much process. Right. Uh, so you want to, you want to drive simplification, but you want to, you, you want to call on and leverage um, these practices that, that large a lot of, you know, leading uh, enterprises have, um, have developed over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I've seen that where someone who has worked with a, a big company and they try to bring these big company practices to a small startup, and it just it it, it absolutely fails. I remember I had a, my some of my biggest hiring mistakes uh, when I was leading a different uh, startup company was going out and getting some iconic leaders from. I, I had one that was a, a funny enough. It was a, mm -hmm. an individual who was working uh, had a senior leadership position at IBM. And I had another one who had a, a, a mid-level leadership position at Coca-Cola. Um, and both of those individuals could not make the transition from working in big corporate America to small startup. And it was, it was funny because they had incredible yeah. academic backgrounds. Both of them had MBAs, both of uh, iconic American institutions, uh, academic institutions, this wonderful resume and literally like just uh, both of them complete and total failures in the startup realm and they're and they're great people but they couldn't make that transition i know that i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing and and i'd struggle if i hadn't had that first chapter mm -hmm. of of being an entrepreneur and creating something and failing it it points along the way and learning from that right and then layering on top of that enterprise uh approach and and learning from some of the the most amazing people being not, you know, surrounded by peers, people mm -hmm. that work for me and my, you know, so I think those two components were really important for me because I have a sense that if I would have only um, operated in large enterprise, I probably would have fallen into that trap mm -hmm. of, um, 
you know, deploying all these um, amazing uh, strategies and tactics and programs and, and frankly, uh, choking the growth of a company. You have to create an environment where, first of all, um, you know, you, people, you hear the phrase fail fast forward, right? Yeah. Which is go do it, learn from it, readjust, right? Make a plan, execute it, learn, adjust, mm-hmm. do it again. Yep. Wow. So much great advice here. Um, we've, we've been going here for a little bit and I, I appreciate all the time that you've invested in the, in the podcast so far. Um, let me ask you a couple rapid fire questions. Yeah. So now that this stage of life, any advice that you would give young people um, when they are facing challenges or adversity or maybe uh, setbacks in their career early on? I mean, I, I've noticed, I, I have a few examples right now of some young yeah. people who are, you know, for the very first time in their life facing some adversity and they're like, okay, what do I do? You know, what, what advice yeah. would you give? Like what advice you give Take, to your kids? Yeah. I'd say when you're coming into either a new uh, chapter in your career or a new job, is kind of what I think the question is Mm -hmm. centers on. Take the time, take the time to learn the culture that you're entering, right? And if you're in a position that you're supposed to be um, affecting and influencing that culture, you better understand it before you do anything. You know, I whenever I'm entering into a new uh, a new space or a new organization, you know, I go on quote unquote listening tours mm-hmm. which That's so smart is you probably question if i can do that because the amount of words coming out of my mouth this morning but no. to really to shut up and listen um and also to understand that and this isn't a condemnation to any organization but there's always hidden dysfunction everywhere Everywhere. Or, every yes. organization every relationship uh there's a hidden dysfunction some of them are less hidden than others mm-hmm. right and um frankly take again this is taking the time Build the relationships. I go back to my, uh, you know, what I learned through when I at Kronos UKG that 360, that feedback that I had gotten, which was is all about Jim, mm-hmm. uh, which broke my heart because in my mind it wasn't. It was about executing and and delivering on what our mission was, but taking the time to build the relationships mm-hmm. because people aren't going to follow you or partner with you if they don't have that relationship, and um, also understand again takes time you have to listen sometimes the mission is a little different than what was originally communicated right so these are very soft Mm -hmm. skills like how do you put you know a a concrete action behind that other than the only thing i can say is listen be curious before Mm -hmm. you start to form opinions too quickly and that's Mm -hmm. a challenge that i have frankly Mm -hmm. um i i think i'm super smart and i can read a person in a situation in a room and a strategy really quickly I had to force myself to take time, but you know, you know, in, in addition to, um, you know, that being curious and taking time to understand the people, we have to understand the product. We have to understand that value proposition, uh, behind the product. Mm-hmm. We have to understand the market and the competition. And frankly, um, at the end of the day, we all work for our investors. Mm-hmm. We work for a board. We work. So we have to understand the broader strategy and the expectations and all while you're doing that is uh you know building your support network and then here is probably one of the things that it took me too long in my career to understand was to ask for feedback Mm. to ask for feedback okay don't assume anything uh and ask for that feedback feedback from everybody from your spouse to your customers to your management to your to your employees 
And I, I think by doing that, you're going to learn so much more than just uh, come into your own assumptions. Yeah, that's so good. What books are you reading right now? What are, what are what's the some of the things that you're you're trying to discover, and yeah. what are things that you're enjoying? Well, at the moment? you know, in this in this this summer has been wonderful. Um, you know, as I'm having an opportunity to really spend time uh, with people in the industry, analysts. Mm -hmm. Um, people I've worked with in the past and spending a lot of time. And so I'm picking up on what people are reading. And, you know, recently a couple that I, that have been interesting for me. Uh, one is a book called the Alliance. Is that the LinkedIn guy wrote that or, uh, yeah, Reed Hoffman. Re yeah. 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 Reed Hoffman. Right. And the whole concept, you want me to just give yeah, a give, give, soundbite yeah, of yeah, what give it a is? Soundbite. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's really about the, the relationship between employee and employer okay. has changed dramatically. When I started in my career, People would join IBM and they'd stay there their entire career. Yeah, it's different today. Things have become much more transactional. We right? have little micro careers now, right? Yeah, yeah. And it it fundamentally changes the relationship between the employer and employee, and you have to realize that. And and frankly, um, you know, the, the, by doing that, you can help each other. So mm -hmm. there has to be almost like a an accord between okay. the employee and the employer. You have to, there's three different types of employees that, uh, that, that exist. There's rotational tour of duty, uh, and they're, you know, more generalized and usually, uh, applied to roles that are not as highly specialized. There's transformational tours of duty. Mm -hmm. These are people that are in the company for a very specific mission and an outcome of the employee's role. They're very clearly defined. Okay. And then there's the foundational, right? And these are the, uh, uh, employees that are deeply tied to the identity of the organization, right? And uh, just to, and not to go into too much detail on it, but I found it a really uh, some profound um, insights around this, which is to have an understanding uh, with an employee, which is this is your in the tour of duty. And again, you, you have military, mm -hmm. you served in the background and in your background. And, uh, and the idea of a tour of duty is a very defined mission. And that mission isn't forever. That, that mission has a beginning and it has an end. And defining what that is and what success looks like is so important. And it comes down to this contract that occurs between the employee and employer, which is you're going to do this as an employee. And the company, in uh, exchange for that, besides paying you and having this honest relationship, is going to help you in your career. And that right. may even include leaving the company at some point, yeah. going on to the next point of their career. It may include coming back at some point. So I just found it as a incredibly uh, interesting. It, it changed my perception right. of of what what today employment looks like. Employment and careers, everything's changing, isn't it? Right. Um, another one that it, I really encourage uh, people to read uh, is a book from uh, Chris Voss called "Never Split the Difference." It's oh, one of the best books brilliant. on negotiating yes. ever. This guy was a uh, uh, a crisis uh, hostage negotiator, and he applies a lot of his learnings in that. Uh, he really challenges some conventional uh, negotiation wisdoms, frankly, uh, advising against the aim to reach a, a, a compromise. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks it's just a compromise. Instead, he 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 suggests that uh, successful negotiation doesn't split the difference, but it rather uses skilled empathy mm -hmm. and deep listening to achieve better outcomes. So oh, just awesome. solid yeah. book, solid book. And then again, the other one that I, I mentioned um, is uh, the book from Andrew Murray on humility. And, uh, and this is, if you're a religious or not, if you're a Christian or not, doesn't matter. The premise behind it holds true no matter what, which mm -hmm. is pride is the biggest hindrance to growth. 
And that may be uh, one of the most important quotes that you've mm. had all morning. You mentioned it earlier, you're mentioning it mm. now towards the end of our time. And uh, I have seen, you and I both probably have many examples of uh, folks that we know who are extremely talented, but where, um, as the old adage uh, and scripture reference, you know, pride cometh before the mm -hmm. fall or goeth before the mm -hmm. fall. And uh, it's so important for us to, to remain humble. Well, and it's Bob, it's a daily thing, mm -hmm. you know, and we, we pride breeds so many things, including, um, insecurity mm -hmm. of not looking oh, unpack as that. great as you, right. And so like, I think part of maturing as a human and as a professional is your early warning signals to yourself earlier where you catch yourself, mm -hmm. where you get that little feeling and it, you wouldn't maybe even describe it as pride, but it's a feeling you have. And it's this feeling of being found out. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear a lot about the um, imposter, the imposter syndrome, syndrome. Yep. right? The sooner we can get over that, uh, the better we're going to be, the happier we're going to be. People are going to want to work with you more, but it, it's a daily thing. It's not just like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to have humility. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reject pride uh, because I think we have a tendency to gravitate back to that when we have feelings of insecurity. It's a defense mechanism. I hadn't heard of somebody connecting pride and insecurity, right? That's, that's interesting that you're connecting. That. Is that, is that part of the book of the, uh, there with, or with yeah. Andrew Murray? And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really throughout, throughout it. Um, and you said it, pride comes before the fall. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, um, it, it's, it's in there. It's really an interesting topic because as soon as you start talking about humility and you start comparing yourself against what humility looks like, it's hard to be humble mm -hmm. when you start to comparing yourself to it. Right. Mm -hmm. and again, I think I mentioned it earlier. Humility, uh, isn't thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of thinking about yourself less. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think it's a, I think it's a lifelong journey for all of us. And the sooner we can, uh, we can, we can get our arms around that yeah. and embrace that. Uh, I think you're going to find some riches. Well, we, we live in, um, a culture right now. We've been talking about technology, how your career has spanned, um, all of these technological advancements, mm -hmm. um, all the various things that you've done. Uh, you, you, you started and ended on, uh, humility. And, um, but one of the things that you've seen, um, manifest during your career is the rise of social media mm. and social media. I was just having a conversation with another leader, uh, within the last week and how social media has created this 24 seven environment of comparison. And that comparison is the thief of uh, many times happiness right? Because no matter what you have going on in your life, no matter how good it is, there's always going to be somebody on social media who, you know, is, is living something different, has something different. And we, we watch kids today, right? Who are spending too much time on social media and, and they're in this comparison world of comparing everything. I want to double click on this concept of someone who might be struggling with pride or that when we, when we, we need to fight pride in our life and how that can also be connected to insecurity. I find, I find that concept just you know, really interesting because yeah. a lot of times you would think that a person who is prideful doesn't have insecurity. They're the opposite, yeah. right? They have, they have, they're, they're, they're overly confident. They're, over, they're overly um, enamored with what they've achieved, their life, their stature, and so forth. 
but I want to unpack this with you just a little bit yeah. in terms of just like how that can, it's actually, um, Maybe is, is it is it a coping mechanism yeah, we're to, compensating. to compensate for we're, the, these we're, deep insecurities that we have in our life, and so we're trying to put this this prideful you know exterior and, focus out on it. And anybody who says that they don't have insecurities, they know they're lying to themselves. Mm -hmm. We all do, and the sooner we can accept that, the sooner you start getting to work on that. Mm -hmm. um, I am quite uncomfortable. As much as we've talked about humility, mm -hmm. I'm kind of uncomfortable talking about it because there are times that I am prideful. There now, the good news is. As I've matured or gotten older, again, my early defense warning kicks in a little bit earlier and it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And, and figuring out how to check that at the door mm -hmm. is uh, earlier and often is I think where you really can, um, you know, move yourself into a position of leadership. And I think, you know, back to your question, you know, about any advice for people that are just, you know, early stage of their career mm -hmm. is... Uh, to, to understand that, right? Nobody is expecting you to be perfect, to have every answer, right? What we want as business leaders are people that are curious, hardworking, um, they're resilient, right? They learn from their mistakes. Of course, they work hard, mm -hmm. but they're curious, right? And, and they haven't drank their, their own Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's been a great thread through yeah. this conversation, frankly, but yeah. I do shudder to talk about it because I don't want anybody to think that I have figured it out right. on this thing about, oh, being humble and rejecting pride. I, I raise it more as uh, one of my Achilles heel mm -hmm. is, is, is that. Um, right. And the good thing is that I've had people in my life that have surrounded me, everything from my, my family to people I work with um, that have cared about me enough to call me out on it. Mm -hmm. well, we're touching on a topic here of, of, of insecurity and, um, and how it's connected to humility and also in, in, a, in a roundabout way connected to pride. And, you know, one of the things is as you're sitting here sharing this and, you're, and you know, I'm thinking back to, as you said, you know, everybody, every leader, everyone we know has insecurities on something. A few mm -hmm. moments ago, we were talking about the, the imposter syndrome, right? And I think one of the things that I've learned in my career is, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be in YPO now for, oh goodness, since 2009. And um, a, you know, I get together with a group of senior CEOs and presidents on a monthly basis. And we talk in, the, and in this, you know, authentic and transparent environment where people, you know, talk about their insecurities. And I've watched, you know, every single person in the various forums I've participated in Everyone has a challenge. Everybody's got an insecurity. Um, everyone deals with this imposter syndrome from time to time in their career. But as adults, we're in a secure and private environment where we're able to talk about this, put these issues on the table and look at it. You go all the way back to think about like, you know, junior high, you know, people hate the, the times of junior high where, you know, how insecure we were as, as kids kind of coming up and, but we hit it, right? It was like, you never wanted to talk about your insecurities. It was almost uh, something that maybe you were ashamed about, but you, you dealt with those issues by yourself generally in private and you didn't really have someone to kind of talk with and have like maybe therapy with. As you get older, you realize, oh, it's not just me being insecure about X, Y, and Z, but everybody is dealing with some type of, um, you know, insecurity or challenge. And so I, I think my, um, my advice to young people or people who would be listening is that, you know, those, those types of insecurities is it's something that everybody deals with. 
And when you're able to sit down and uh, be in an environment with other leaders, friends, trusted advisors, mentors, you can put those on the table. You can talk about it. So, you know, Jim, one of the things that you've been sharing today, you've been, you know, transparent, you're being authentic and you're, you're, you're openly saying, Hey, these are things that I, I work on. I want to be self-aware and yeah. you know, that, that, that time that the humility that you had earlier in your career, where you took the advice of your boss, you took that executive coaching is a transformational point of your career yeah. to enable you to be a better leader. And you've taken that self-awareness and then constantly asking questions. How can I get better? How can I improve? How can I learn? And it's just one of, one of the things that I really admire and respect about you. And you've been a great example in this podcast for other people to be authentic and real with themselves and to have that same level of self-awareness uh, to get better. And that's, yeah. that's, the, that's really the story arc that I see that you're on in your journey of, of leadership. You've had tremendous success. You've had tremendous opportunities. The story arc, this is beautiful story arc of your career. But it, it, it goes in parallel with the story arc of your career of continuing to learn, continuing to grow, trying to have greater self-awareness, trying to ask more and more difficult mm-hmm. questions and just, um, you know, Im- improve, be, be, be spirit led, be, be humble. I really appreciate that about you, Jim. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. And I know you know that I, I haven't figured it all out either. Uh, matter of fact, as you get on in your career and you get a little bit older and you get some gray hairs, people aren't as forthcoming uh, with the, the, the input and guidance and coaching. Cause they mm. either figure that you've got it all figured out already, uh, or they are not in a position to be able to really be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important that, uh, that you continue to surround yourself with people like that. Uh, I think there's a couple traits, um, of great leaders. You could do a long list of traits, mm-hmm. right? There's the, um, hard skills. Like they know how to operate. Mm-hmm. They know how to communicate, um, a vision, they know how to get the right people together, the right people on the bus going in the same direction. They have these skills, right, that they are imbued with and that they've learned through their career. But to me, the two most important things, humility is one of them. The other is vulnerability, mm. right? If you think about the people that we will follow into battle, uh, they have the humility, but they also have vulnerability, meaning, uh, and you can almost, somebody might say, well, those are just interchangeable words, mm-hmm. right? They, they certainly go together. But the vulnerability is for a leader to be able to say they're sorry, to admit when they're wrong, to um, uh, embrace the fact, you know, this, the, the imposter syndrome. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, we escape the imposter syndrome as soon as we admit that we don't know every single thing mm-hmm. about everything, right. right? So that vulnerability piece, I will follow, any, I will follow somebody in a battle. When those two traits are in place, yes, they need to have core competencies in running a business. They need to say the right things. They need to be great communicators. But at the end of the day, those two components of humility and vulnerability, I think, are most central to the success. And, you know, I'd like to think I'm, um, you know, maybe in a few years we meet back up and we talk about and there's this next chapter, right? I think that next chapter for me, uh, it continues down this road of, um, of, of, of scaling and growth. Yeah. Doesn't mean that, uh, someday I may not end up back at an SAP, mm-hmm. right? Cause there's still opportunities to bring the startup entrepreneurial spirit into large enterprise. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, I, uh, I think certainly, you know, we are on the forefront of some, uh, some amazing things, right? You, you, you look at over the last 20 years, 
you know, we had the, you know, internet impacted everything. Um, you know, the, there's a massive growth of enterprise software around uh, marketing and customer engagement and the way that we engage. Um, you were talking about direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. We engage the market. So all that's changed. We all know AI, machine learning uh, is literally going to impact every aspect of our life. Uh, I'm quite encouraged about what's going to happen, uh, frankly, longer term economically. I'm not concerned that everybody's going to lose their job because you're going to have a chat GTP going to be doing your job. Right. These are new tools. Right. And so I think we just were just like Word, just like PowerPoint. It is. Right. It, it, it may have displaced some things, but it, it, it was a, a tool that enables everybody yeah. to be more productive. And, and now everybody can become upscaled. Yes. Becomes, we become more strategic. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty certain, and I can tell you a lot of the conversations I'm having about what my next, uh, uh, next mission is. Mm -hmm. Um, is going to be very much grounded in um, in in generative AI. So it's very exciting days to come. I'd say for everybody. Yeah, we're gonna have a, we're gonna always have some bumps in the road. Right. Uh, but we're we're about to see some amazing things happen technologically that are going to impact our lives and economy. That's awesome. Well, I I share your spirit of optimism um, in human ingenuity and uh, adaptation and uh continued uh growth and uh i tell you one, one of the things that i've r really enjoyed is just watching you uh be vulnerable and transparent and you you said um you know a few moments ago just the importance of vulnerability in your life and i think th there may be some that look at vulnerability as um as weakness, weakness. but actually it, it, what you've articulated is that vulnerability is strength and that it, it, when it you is. when you are vulnerable, that's when you're you're strongest. That's when you are um, where people will trust you. They'll follow you into battle because they they know that you're being real and authentic with them. And that's the type of leader that you've been. Yep. I think that's one of the reasons why that you've had such incredible success. And I can't wait to get back together with you and see what the next chapter is and the great things that you're doing. And we're going to have to have you back on the podcast. And so, you, you know, we can dive a little bit deeper into more technical stuff on the new technologies and how it's going to be impacting, you know, every American family and uh, everybody who's operating from young people starting out their careers to uh, older folks who are pivoting and adapting into to, to new things. I'll leave a thought, uh, an encouragement, uh, and frankly, not, not just to people in the early part of their careers, but regardless of where we are. Mm -hmm. Where I have grown the most is in people that know me, they know what I'm about to say, which is I grow the most and I'm my best me when I'm slightly over my skis. Mm -hmm. When I'm, I'm, I'm in a place that I'm being stretched. And I, I just encourage us to do that because failure is an option. It's, we are going to fail, right? Uh, but, you know, again, it sounds like another bumper sticker, but it, it, it truly is that place uh, where I, I can I can just say I, I wouldn't have learned and, and, and had the opportunities that I've had if I haven't uh, em, embraced that change. And some challenges, like when I got some of these jobs were fairly big jobs. Mm -hmm. People were like, holy crap. Like, wow, that, that you know, taking on the job at IBM. Um, and, it, and it stretched me, but I, I grew in immeasurable ways. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, we've all got to be ready to to accept failure in various things. If I, I, one of the quotes that I've heard from multiple uh, Silicon Valley venture capitalists is, "If you're not failing, you're not you know trying hard enough, right? Mm -hmm. You're not you're not pushing the envelope. You're playing it too safe. And today is not a time to be playing it safe. Today is a time for uh, all of us, no matter where we're at in our career, no matter what we're trying to do. Uh, the worst thing we can do 
is play it safe. The best place for us to be, as you've articulated, is to be out a little bit over our skis. Know that, hey, we're gonna we're pushing the envelope. Uh, we're gonna have some successes. We're gonna have some failures, but those failures is ultimately where we learn and we grow. And Jim, you have done that very, very well in your career. And uh, thank you so much You're for taking right. the time to to be with us this morning. It's been extremely beneficial for me. I've really enjoyed this and. I can't wait uh, to be able to share it with some friends. Bob, thank you very much. You're very, very kind. You know, I, uh, I just honored to spend a little bit of time with you this morning. And um, uh, I'm, exer- I'm excited about the journey you're on. I hope you talk about yourself more with your audience, because I think the learnings that you could share uh, through what you've learned uh, through your, your service and through the leadership that you've had. So maybe one day we'll turn the mics and I'll interview you. That, that would be awesome. I would, I'd love to do that. I've had a couple of people uh, ask and I've always put it, I, I like being on this side. I like yeah, put, I being the guy asking the questions, you know, so in the background, but uh, yeah, we've had uh, incredible guests on the, on the program and you, you are another one of a long list of distinguished individuals that I've just had the honor and the, the privilege of interviewing. So thank you so much for your time. You're very kind. Thank you, Bob. Today's episode was engineered by Mitch White with graphic and marketing by Tristan Dickey. Special thanks to Jim for taking time to share with us and our listeners his story and learnings from his journey. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or wherever you go to listen to your favorite pods. If you like the show, please share with a friend and give us a review. That's always appreciated. Thank you for spending time with us today, and we look forward to spending more time with you again next week.